Hello and welcome to the Scottish Liberty Podcast, episode 48, with me, Anthony Samroff, and this guy. Once more, me, Tom Laird. We have an extraordinarily special guest today, Foreign Policy Scott Horton of um, Antiwar.com. Uh, the Scott Horton Show, his own podcast, and most recently, the Libertarian Institute. All right. Thank you for joining us on the show, Scott. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Happy to be here. No, pleasure's all ours. So, I hear that you've got a book coming out soon. Yes. Will you tell us a little bit about that before we dive in to the foreign policy stuff? Well, um, I guess, I don't know, why not? I'll go ahead and, and uh, you guys will be the first uh, in the general public to hear the title oh. of the new book. An exclusive. We've got an exclusive. An exclusive so cool. here on the show for you guys. It's called Fool's Errand. Time to end the war in Afghanistan. And actually, okay. I'm going to change it to the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan as the subtitle. The U.S. Okay. Okay. I hear you. That will be the title. And so, um, yeah. Go on. Yeah. Tell us well, about this is not yet. This is not a collaboration with Tom Woods. This is this is all your own stuff. Right. Well, yeah, it's funny. What happened was it started out as a collaboration with Tom Woods. Okay. He said to me, you know what we ought to do is we ought to put together kind of a, a real short and sweet kind of every man's guide to debunking all of the terror wars. And I thought, yeah, that'd be perfect. We'll do, you know, chapter one will be kind of prehistory, Clinton mm -hmm. years and that kind of thing. And then we'll just do Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, Syria, and just go down the list, right? Yeah. And then right. so I wrote all of chapter one, which was already way too long anyway. Right. And then once I got to Afghanistan. I just couldn't stop writing. And I think what happened was I kind of lost sight of, of my audience. So instead of writing the very briefest take on Afghanistan I possibly could and move on, I started mm. kind of telling you everything that I think I know about Afghanistan that you guys need to know. Right. That's kind of my that's kind of my method of argument, right? Is I just overload you with facts until you give in or something. So what happened was <laughs> my chapter turned into fifty thousand words. Wow. So at that point, I gave up and I went ahead and doubled it. And now it's 115,000, something like that. So now it's its own book. Oh, wow. Cool. In the Afghan quagmire. But when this is done, then I'm going back to the Tom Woods project. And I'm, I'm going to not lose sight of my audience this time. And I'm going to really do a very brief chapter and tell you only exactly the very minimum that I really need you to know about each okay. of the wars and then go through and do one chapter debunking the whole terror war. That's next. And then the real lesson is Tom has to deal with all this final draft stuff about where all the commas go. And, oh, my God. I just, right. you know, I really, I, yeah. I more or less finished the book like five months ago or right. four months right. ago. I've just been, I've, I've reread the thing and re-edited it hundreds and hundreds of times now. I can't stand it anymore. So next time, that's going to be Tom's job. All I got to do is just spit out the facts and let him make it look good, right? Right, cool. So, yeah, no, I, I, what you're saying sounds very familiar to me. You know, you start a project and you think, oh, this is cool. I can put something uh, out quickly and then it becomes its own. It takes on its own life. Those arms and legs, And, man. Uh, and uh, that's why I never finish a book. <laughs> so, so I mean, when, Sorry, when's it again, Scott? It should be just a few weeks now. I actually um, had some friends give me some pretty constructive criticisms in the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm collecting my blurbs and all that. So I think my editor and I are going to go over it one more good time through. Oh, she's done. My editor is done formatting the footnotes. I have 900 975 footnotes, 1300 and something citations. And she went and formatted them all because I did them all wrong, of course. All right, okay. She went and fixed my 1300 something uh, incorrect citations and, and got them all straight. So we're really almost all done. Right, it should just be uh, like maybe two weeks till I hit go. Um, and then it may be a couple of weeks after that before it actually finally comes out, but so okay. it should be, and where, where will, where will it be available first. from? It'll, it'll just be from where, where will it... first. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm publishing it through the Libertarian Institute. Okay, great. Your own Libertarian Institute. Now yeah. you said that your book is about, um, how, why it's time to end the war in Afghanistan. And someone actually asked us a question um jimmy buchanan what i believe how could we actually go about getting the troops home to uh, supposing the government decided would that be um a case of all in one or would it be done incrementally in your view mm. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, on Afghanistan specifically, and I think for the terror war in general, I'm with the Ron Paul answer that you just come home. And that's how the yeah. book is written, too. The book is written uh, to say that there's no point in trying to negotiate with the Taliban. They don't want to negotiate with you. There's no point in yeah. trying to tie up all the loose ends. You're the ones who freighted them. Uh, this is okay. it's time to just cut and run. It's time to just say this isn't working and we must stop. And the truth is, and this is really the crux of the book, other than just the point about the war in Afghanistan, is that our side started it. It doesn't mean that the other side is in the right. It just means that mm. the reason that we got into this war wasn't because Islam makes people hate innocence and freedom. It's yeah. that George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton were committing virtual genocide against the people of Iraq from bases in Saudi Arabia, as well as supporting the Israeli occupations in Lebanon and in Palestine at the time. And that was the motivation for the attack. So, um, you know, I think people try to hear this wrong sometimes, like, oh, we should capitulate to terrorists or whatever. But the fact is, we shouldn't have been over, uh, intervening over there in the first place. And that's what got yeah. us into this trouble. And the best way to end the terrorist threat against the American people and for that matter, the Scots and whoever else is mm -hmm. to stop the intervention. And, you know, because it's wrong, not because that's what Osama says he wants us to do, but because right. he's right that we shouldn't be doing these things anyway. And then that would be uh, the best way to protect the American people from international terrorism. And, you know, okay, well, well, how, how confident are you, though, Scott? I mean, Okay, I, I, I get it. In principle, shouldn't be involved anyway. I probably can agree with that. How confident are you that pulling out of Afghanistan, pulling out of Iraq, that that will finally appease them? And how do you know they just don't hate you anyway by this well, stage? Well, I mean, I think because the deal is the reason that they're fighting the United States is because we're in their way. You know, these guys wanted, and by the way, at the time of the 9-11 attack, we're talking about a few hundred guys who were, you know, they might as well have been crackheads dreaming. But right. what they wanted was for America to come and instigate revolution and, and disruption and instability throughout the region so that they could have their way and eventually bleed us all the way to bankruptcy and force us out. So, in other words, conquering North America was never on their list, was never on their agenda. What they wanted to do was overthrow the king of Saudi Arabia and overthrow Saddam Hussein and overthrow the Ayatollah and overthrow Assad, uh, yeah. you know, overthrow Mubarak and now Sisi. Um, they don't care about us other than the American empire, which, of course, Great Britain is part of it, is satellite in the American empire now, is propping up all of those people that they want to overthrow. So, okay. Uh, but what about know, countries that means to an end. attacking us as a means to an end? It wasn't that their yeah. interpretation of their religion said anybody born between Mexico and Canada must pay for that. You know? Right. But what about, so I mean, this, if, we this, quit, this, if we quit, it wouldn't be perfect. Like I was saying about Afghanistan, if we quit Afghanistan, there's going to still be a civil war going on there. Yeah. If we quit Iraq and Syria and Libya, uh, Bush and, and Obama already destroyed these places. And there's no Humpty Dumpty put it back together again. All yeah. I'm saying is, we should quit trying to put it back together again because we can't. Even if you really mean well, it doesn't work. You just make it worse. So okay. the best we could do is just stop and no panacea. But that's still the best answer to letting things sort themselves out without American intervention, distorting the, the results of various you know, plays and negotiations that people are doing. Okay. So I mean, I've had some commentators sort of like a central banker, right? When we dump army into somebody's country, right. it's just like when the central banker dumps a bunch of currency into a certain market. We drive up the value of the power of certain factions over others, but it's unnatural and a correction is due. So really any, any kind of system our government has set up in Iraq or in Afghanistan is going to fall. There's nothing so was it, was it, is it by design or by incompetence? I mean, what's I mean? I've had certain commentators say that we're involved, we've been involved in Afghanistan because of because of opium, that it's a factor. Um, not that we're trying to wipe it out, but that we're trying to keep the value of it high. Um, I don't know if there's any truth in that, but I mean, what's your own opinion? Well, I mean, it's what it really is with all of this stuff is it's a lot of little vested interests and no real overriding agenda that really okay. controls it all other than simply just the growth of the pentagon itself um but yeah i mean are there certain vested interests who are making a killing off of opium in afghanistan yeah. and who would like to keep it this way sure and are there 
possibly factions inside the CIA who are making sure to funnel extra heroin into um, Russia or China or something, possibly. You know, I don't know as, as far as I, I've heard those accusations before. Um, but on the other right. hand, there's really nothing that they can do about it. Um, and, and mm. there's so much incompetence here where, I mean, yeah. you guys could totally guess this, right? That when you send a bunch of State Department do-gooders out to the Helmand province in Afghanistan and they go, oh, we're going to help you, everybody, by we're going to dig all these wells for you and all this. Well, they already had their yeah. irrigation systems and everything the way that they had it worked out. Well, what the Americans do? The Americans just turn entire new parts of Afghanistan into arable land where they're now all growing opium in places where they were never growing it before. Yeah. That wasn't what they were trying to do. They were trying to give the farmers the ability to grow something other than opium. And yet they're government employees. They don't understand how prices work and stuff. You know, these guys are going to grow whatever's the most profitable. And they're these are the poorest people in the world, by the way. Right. This is absolute desperate poverty in Afghanistan. It's not like, oh, gee, I think I might prefer to grow lettuce. You grow yeah. opium because that's yeah. your only choice anyway. And of course, then the more they crack down on these farmers, the more they drive them into the arms of the Taliban, and the more the, the insurgents are the ones who benefit the most from yeah. all the drug money. And then, uh, I mean, the government, the, the, the governors are drug dealers too. I mean, there, there are all kinds yeah. of people in the American coalition who are also heroin dealers. I don't mean to say yeah. that, but, but the, the major windfall goes to the insurgency. And it's just another yeah. example of, you know, what are you doing over there? What do you think you're going to accomplish with this? With When everything that you do makes matters exactly worse compared to what you said you were trying to do. I mean, a whole facet of the war in Afghanistan has been the war on drugs. Poor, poor Afghanistan. It's so corrupt. They're never going to get rid of their corruption until we get rid of their poppy problem. Well, I mean, come on. That definitely sounds like the kind of thing a, DA, a DEA cop would say and believe. Yeah. But I mean, for the rest of the adults true? on the planet Earth, that's stupid, right? That's completely ridiculous yeah. that you're going to do that. The best thing to do but would isn't be it, Isn't it true, though? Sorry, sorry Scott. Like isn't, isn't it true that initially the Taliban were, were destroying, initially destroying the opium crop themselves? They were destroying it. And it's only laterally or relatively laterally that through not being able to fund themselves any other way, they turn to the opium crop themselves in order to fund their war. Right. Absolutely right. I mean, by the time, uh, no, I think when they first took over, they were in the business and making money. But then once okay. they were kind of solidified enough in power by, uh, I guess it was 98, 99 is when they banned it. And then so yeah. you had for like two or three years, you had virtual eradication of opium. Boy, if anybody can wage a drug war and actually get it done it was the taliban because they'll just yeah. look we're going to shoot you in the head if you if you do yeah. this and so people you know they just backed off for a time there and then but once america came just forget about it and you know and the mm. thing is too i mean we really are talking about government employees who have no idea how prices work right or like yeah. the closest that they could come to figuring out prices is well hmm you know maybe if we um you know subsidize them to grow beets instead or this kind of thing but they could never come up with a workable program to do that, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. and the thing is, and they, they too, they have, um, they've dropped the price of heroin around the world. I mean, the, the, it, Afghanistan produces like 80% or 90% of the world's illicit opium products right now. Right. And, well, and, 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 it's, and it's so much higher. I don't know exactly. It's so much more than it used to be. And so it's just changing the drug markets all around the planet. And the solution here is, you know, uh, Turkey used to be the, the biggest base of illegal opium production on the planet, black market opium production for heroin. And what happened was they just legalized it. They straight up legalized it and they put all those farmers into business working for Johnson and Johnson. And it's fine. And it's fine. And people in right. terrible pain in hospitals all over the world get doses of good pain killing medicines just like they need. And everything is perfectly kosher. Right. And that's the solution always is just legalize it. The idea that you're going to prohibit the farming of poppy flowers in Afghanistan. I yeah. mean, do I even need to finish that sentence for God's sake, man? You know, it's <laughs> completely crazy. Right. Yeah. So most recently, obviously, it's been serial on the cards and there's been some development in the last couple of weeks. So um, you told an anecdote about how I believe the Pentagon was funding one insurgent group and 
another wing of the American government would was funding another and they ended up fighting each other in Syria. Can you quickly relay that anecdote once more? Because it was shocking and appalling. Yeah, no, well, there's a few of them, but I think probably the one you're thinking of is when the Arab fighters of the Free Syrian Army went to battle a few different times with the Kurds. So this is the CIA-backed anti-Assad terrorists are fighting the DOD-backed anti-ISIS so-called terrorists, the Turks call them terrorists anyway, the YPG yeah. Kurdish fighters who have their own kind of autonomous state. But then guess what? The Iraqi Badr Brigade, that's allies with the Iraqi Shiite army that is fighting on our side. We're fighting on their side in Mosul right now. We've been fighting on their side since 2003. They were in Syria fighting with Hezbollah and Assad and Russia against the CIA-backed terrorists and the DOD-backed YPG. And then get this, you have Afghan Mujahideen who are fighting on the CIA side against Assad, but you also have Afghan Shia Hazaras who have come from Afghanistan to fight with Hezbollah and the Iranians and the Iraqi Shiite militias and Russia and Assad's army against all of these groups. The whole thing is completely insane because what you have literally is, and if you want, I'll try to count, but it's around, it's the battle of 10 armies, maybe 13 is what's going on in Iraq and Syria right now. And America is on all sides. America and, uh, again, the side is the, in Iraq, the Sunni side in, and jihadist side in Syria, and we back the Kurds in the middle. Well, again, is this designer incompetence? I think I, I have to say the overall policy of, of regime change and destabilization in Syria is absolutely by design. The absolute right. ridiculousness that I just described to you is yeah. a matter of bureaucratic inertia and incompetence and what have you. I mean, yeah. the CIA and the DOD are just on a separate chain of command. Sometimes they work together. Sometimes they work at cross purposes. You know, someone actually played a clip of a, a Woody Allen film where it's a bunch of soldiers in the back of a plane and they're on their way to go invade some South American country. And one soldier says to the other, which side are we bananas. on, the rebels or the dictator? He goes, well, the CIA has us on both sides this time. They don't want us taking any chances. Those bananas, good wow. movie. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so the recent development um, was Trump was going to institute some kind of no-fly zone. Is this good? Is this bad? What does this mean? Well, it would be a major escalation. It would be absolutely horrifying. What it would mean really is war against the nation state of Syria and the 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 army and government based in Damascus. Now, right. that's dangerous. I think, I, I think guys that there's a sort of daydream in there that it'll be okay. That basically Assad will allow yeah. this. The Russians will kind of move out of the way and they'll accept this or something mm -hmm. somehow. But I just don't think that's really right. And I don't know whether this is just kind of idle talk. Like, yeah, we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Um, because there are a lot of people in D.C. who want to hear the words no-fly zone, even if they don't actually get it, or if they really are serious right. about this. But, you know, all during the campaign, Trump said, no, I don't want regime change against Assad. That would be crazy. But, yeah, we should do a safe zone, which is even worse than a no-fly zone, right? A safe zone at least implies infantry on the ground. Create, How can like, it be bad when Kurdistan. There. Hey, there you guys are. Well, Sorry, I don't know what happened. Oh. Hey. We thought we'd upset you with. I thought Anthony had upset you with his uh, with his gag. No, I actually missed it. As soon as you started talking, it cut. I'm sorry, I missed it. All right, okay. Uh, I was just asking how you could be so heartless as to deny uh, the Syrians of safety. I mean, don't they deserve safe spaces? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, when they say safe zone, what they're really talking about. And I know it sounds crazy to say this. I always try to think of like the best way to say it so that you don't just freak out on me or what, but. What they're really saying is they're going to create a little mini state for al-Qaeda. What they're saying is yeah. they want to create a safe zone for al-Jalani and the servants of Ayman al-Zalahiri, the butcher of New York City, so that they can, right. in the future, pick this war back up against Assad. And they're doing it, yes, by design or what? They're doing it for Israel. They're doing it because the Israelis hate the government in Damascus because the government in Damascus backs Hezbollah. And Hezbollah has the ability to keep Israel out of southern Lebanon. And so they must okay. be destroyed. And in fact, if you go back 20 years to the clean break by David Wormser, Dick Cheney's Middle East advisor, and you read the clean break, he talks all about how Hezbollah is the threat. 
Hezbollah is backed by Assad and backed by Iran. So therefore, that's, you know, the center of all evil in the world. And he even says in there that, listen, if it's true, and there's a companion piece to coping with crumbling states, I might be conflating the two, but they they should be conflated. They're the same thing. They're both by David Wolmser. And in, in coping with crumbling states is the one where he says we want to expedite the chaotic collapse in Syria so that then we can help, you know, have a better handle on how to create the new future there, et cetera. And what he says is, this is in 96 now, so right, Kobar Towers, and they hadn't done the African embassies yet, but it's, he's clued in already to the rise of bin Ladenite terrorism in the mid-1990s, the first World Trade Center bombing, and this stuff had already happened. And he says in there, well, it's true that this could possibly help and, and benefit these Islamist uh, terrorists, bin Ladenite types, but, oh, well, we don't worry about that. You know, that'll be another problem we'll just have to deal with later, but that couldn't possibly as be as big of a threat as the danger of Assad and Hezbollah. And so that's our priority. And if you listen to them 20 years later, after 3000 killed on September 11th, after 3,500 American soldiers died fighting the Al Qaeda in Iraq led Sunni insurgency in Iraq war II, our government is back in these guys again. Like it's still the days of Ronald Reagan, like none of this ever happened. And here, right. and these guys, Al Jalani, who's the head of the Al Nusra Front in Syria, he is sworn by it, loyal to Ayman al Zawahiri, the guy that did 9 11. And this is high treason. I mean, I, I really hate talking like that because it sounds mm -hmm. like I'm the one with the problem. But this right. is one of the only crimes defined in the Constitution. There's, there's piracy, counterfeiting, and treason. And right. what it says is you provide aid and comfort to the enemies of America. That's what it is. And there's just no question that the so-called mythical moderates in Syria, and we've been covering this for years on end here, the mythical moderates in Syria are nothing but the gun runners. They're the ones who accept the money and the guns from the CIA and then turn them over to the Al-Qaeda terrorists. If you just go on YouTube and just type in Syria tow missile, you will see Al-Qaeda guys firing American anti-tank missiles off of their shoulders over and over and over and over again. It's treats. So tell me a little bit, what's the script with Hezbollah? Are they a terrorist organization? Um, I believe that not all countries define them as one, and it's only a small group of countries, the allies of America, who are, and as well as doing um, actions that are probably pretty heinous, they're, they're, they do actually do other things in Lebanon. Uh, what, what is the script? Who's right on Hezbollah? Well, they were created as... Um, a militia in reaction to the Israeli invasion of southern Lebanon in 1982. And in fact, first, the Shiite population of Lebanon, uh, they were like the least powerful faction in the whole country. And they really hated the PLO and Yasser Arafat and all his people who were squatting there, basically. And they yeah. stood back sort of like the Shia when America invaded Iraq. They sort of stood back and said, go ahead and get rid of them. But then the Israelis completely treated the local population like garbage and, you know, killed them and arrested them and tortured them and humiliated them and treated them in a way that generated, you know, quickly generated resistance. And that was how the party of God was born, was in response and in reaction to Israel picking a fight with these people that they had no real quarrel with. And that's where they came from. And then, yes, they fought a war from 1982 through the year 2000, really through the end of 1999. Uh, in order to force the Israelis out of southern Lebanon. And during that time, they absolutely used terrorist tactics. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, okay. Although I, I will plead um, ignorance on, you know, the entire history of whichever all suicide bombs they ever they ever set off against civilians in Israel okay. itself. I really don't know about that. I mean, when I think about it, the only attacks like that that I know of come out of Palestine, not southern Lebanon. But I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a master of the history of the 1980s war there. To, to your knowledge, know to your knowledge, Hezbollah are not behind any atrocity on foreign soil that, that you know of. Well, um, yeah, I mean, well, that's a separate question. I'll get to that in just one second. So, okay. so Hezbollah itself right now in southern Lebanon is basically a mini state, right? right. Nasrallah is basically like, like the president of a big county of, of, uh, the Shia population, and it's sort of a subsidiary of Iran. It's almost like Puerto Rico or something to America. Uh, right. or you guys are part of the UK. You understand about foreign territories all over the world. It's it's sort yeah. of like that, where it's they they have a lot of autonomy, but then they also are really kind of married into the Iranian Revolution as well. Yeah. Now, 
when when we hear all day long that Hezbollah are the root of all evil in the world, that Hezbollah is the worst terrorist group in the world and all this, this is purely Israeli propaganda. I mean, there's just no way in the world that anybody with a LexisNexis or Google News could actually, you know, go along with this on a moment's research. It just isn't true. I mean, the 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 cutting edge of international terrorism in the world is bin Ladenite terrorism. And it has been since 1990 when they murdered the Rabbi Kahane in New York City. Um, yeah. And then, you know, quickly the First World Trade Center and the rest of this. This is the terrorist threat on the planet. Uh, you guys have seen this all across Europe, uh, yeah. in, in Brussels and in uh, Paris and all these attacks in London. None of these are by Shia at, at all. None of these have anything to do with Hezbollah or Iran or anything. Right. Well, the only ones you hear of, of international terrorist attacks by Hezbollah are total lies, total lies. You hear about the Argentina bombing of 1994. Well, that wasn't Hezbollah, that was Nazis. Hitler loving Nazis. But the Israeli government decided, hey, who cares about the dead Jews involved in this case? Let's get some political mileage out of it by blaming it on Iran and Hezbollah because that's their priority. Okay. Right? They blame the Kobar Towers attack in 1996 in Saudi Arabia on Saudi, on Iranian-backed Saudi Hezbollah. Yeah, right. It was Osama bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed that did the Kobar Towers attack. Then they talk about, um, there was one just uh, a, a few weeks ago, there was a string of supposed attacks. One in New Delhi and one in, I think it was in Hungary or Romania or something. All these debunked by the great Gareth Porter. There's just nothing to them. And um, what happens is you just get the accusation. Well, geez, everybody knows Donald Trump went to Saudi Arabia and in front of all the greatest yeah. terrorists in the world goes, Iran is the greatest terrorist threat in the world. And the thing is, it's just a mantra, right? It's like a song that you got stuck in your head. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. Your brain just knows it's true. You've heard it so many times. Just like so many times they try to brainwash you into believing that Iran was in the process of making a nuclear weapon and right. had to be stopped. And, uh, when in fact, that was never the case even for a minute. And yet... If you're just the average guy who drives around, I don't know, you're an air conditioner repairman and you listen to AM talk radio in Austin, Texas, you must have heard 5,000 stories on the radio about Iran and their dangerous nuclear weapons program. And it's the same kind of thing here where just everybody knows this is about this terrorist threat, but it just isn't true, really. And, and by the way, you, I don't want to really defend Hezbollah too much because I'm not into theocracy. Yeah. I'm not any kind of Shia Sunni or anything else. And you know, their reputation is hardly libertarian, right? These are the principles that I stand for are for individual yeah. rights and all that. And all I'm doing is just in the same way when I defend Saddam or I defend Milosevic or I defend, uh, you know, Mullah Omar, or whatever, I'm simply defending the truth, not these horrible people. Right. So let me ask you a question about Iran, because this is going, you've been banging on about this, no offense uh, uh, intended, in a good way. I know for maybe eight years or more, because I remember seeing a video from you on YouTube seven or eight years ago, debunking uh, the idea that Iran was trying to procure a nuclear weapon. Um, and that's probably still on the internet to this day. So tell us the truth, because a lot of people think that Iran is trying to acquire a, a nuclear weapon still to this day. Can you prove that they're not? I know you can't prove a negative, but what is the oh, evidence for your position? Yes, I can prove a negative. No problem, man. I mean, the whole thing here is that, first and foremost, there's just no affirmative evidence that they ever had a nuclear weapons program of any kind. And when we have years and years and years on end of the IAEA doing their inspections and reporting that they have no evidence and even no indication of any diversion of nuclear material to any military or other special purpose, that's really all you need to know. I mean, fast and furious scandal aside, this would be like if you had an ATF federal gun cop that was camped out in your gun store and every and was checking every every purchase to make sure that right. there was nothing fully automatic going out the door without the proper taxes paid, right? It's just impossible to say that you're running a criminal gun business when the cop lives at your store. That's how we're okay. talking about with Iran's nuclear program. Iran's nuclear program, none of it is secret. There's just, I mean, you can you can just daydream and pretend that there somewhere there's a mountain that nobody ever checked under it, and there's a whole other secret, you know, 007 plot going on there. But there's no indication anywhere in the world that there is okay. any. But well, the other accusation, the one we 
already know about that we already know is a civilian program? The other accusation we hear all the time, though, is, okay, well, they, even so, Iran are the main funders of terrorism in other countries. You know, they may not be our enemies and and the and that they've declared war on us, but they are they are funding all the terrorist groups that that want to kill us. What's the substance of that claim? Yeah, nothing. I mean, the closest that they could get would be if they said that they back Hamas and Hezbollah, but in fact, they don't even really back Hamas anymore because Hamas took the side of the rebels in the Syria war, and Iran right. is on the government side there, and and you know the 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 Palestinians in in the Gaza Strip, they're virtually all Sunni. And so there was, you know, some friendship there, but they're not the the Iranian government was never married to them. And Hamas really like Hezbollah is basically a, a mini government. And they absolutely have a history of using terrorist attacks in the past. But to say that they're just a terrorist group at this point, when they're the elected government of the Gaza Strip in an election that the U.S. and Israel forced them to hold. Um, I mean, to be honest, the Gaza Strip is a prison and they're basically the Israelis trustees ruling the the prison population there um you know if you want to get all metaphorical about it and what have you but mm. to, to reduce them to just some terrorist group or especially an international terrorist group hamas it's just not right i mean in other words it just like you phrased it well we hear all the time that they're the biggest backers but what you never hear is any explanation of why that's true you never hear them talk like i talk if i say you know Zawahiri actually is the biggest backer of terrorism. I start rattling off examples, right? They don't have any examples because they're lying. I mean, look at their their example from a few years ago here in the U.S. was this ridiculous lie. I mean, it was the most um, they they claimed that this uh, completely you know uh, absent-minded space cadet used car salesman from Corpus Christi, Texas, was going to murder the Saudi ambassador in a restaurant in Washington D.C. And then the whole thing came out that. This was basically completely made up by the American cops that right. if anything, this guy was on the phone, maybe with some drug dealers in Iran inside the government and they were arranging some business or something. None of it had anything to do with the Saudi ambassador at a restaurant in Washington, D.C. That part was made up by the FBI. And on my show, I had, you know, we counted them up. We had six former CIA officers who said that that story was a lie. They didn't believe it for a minute. And you're a damn fool if you do. And we had them on the record debunking that within days. And this is the kind of thing, though, that, like I was saying, if you just listen to the radio, if you're a casual observer of the news, you have heard these kind of accusations against Iran a million times. But the fact right. is, a million times zero is still zero. It's just like the case against okay. Saddam Hussein. We have all these things that we're saying, but none of them are right. None of them. And none of them really would be good enough, even if they were true, for to be an excuse for an attack. Right. When we look at the region in the Middle East, it's so complicated. I mean, the whole thing's cray-cray in a bad way. Um, and what I really want to get down to is to what degree is this because of Western intervention and uh, to what degree is it um, cultural, Islam, um, radical, and so forth? Uh, because uh, so it'd be nice to do a little bit of history here because um first of all i'm not help us understand how um the west carved up the middle east into the countries that it is now and and what went on there that set up that, that set the stage for these kinds of tribal wars mm -hmm. sure yeah no that's a great question and i really appreciate the way that you put it and you know, again, for your audience, and I, I guess you guys are, are libertarians as well. I mean, my attitude yeah. always is blame government first, or at least look to see if government intervention is the thing that caused the problem in the first place, right? Because this is, from libertarian eyes, this is the sickness of all government policy, is all anybody does yeah. is say, well, we have this boom-bust cycle, we better come up with some new regulations to tame it. But no, you're the ones causing the boom and bust cycle. If you'd stop causing it, you wouldn't need to, you know, outlaw capitalism in order to try to tame the thing. It's the same sort of thing here. So um, this is not to say, just like with booms and busts, it's not to say that all businessmen are great men, to say that they happen to be victims of state power here, uh, to defend the people of the Middle East, to, to explain 
the to attempt to explain the true context of the situation that they have been put into by outside powers is not to say that Islam is the greatest religion in the world or that Jim, Dave, or Bob's interpretation of it is the one that anybody should agree with or that Arabs are better people than Persians or vice versa or or any of these things, any kind of, you know, whatever side argument that people want to try to to attach to it. There's all kinds of problems in Islamic civilization and all the different Islamic civilizations on the planet. Um, and a lot of them, uh, a lot of country, a lot of Islamic societies don't have the problems that are serious problems in other Islamic societies. So in other words, we're living on earth here and we can be talking about, you know, virtually any segment. We could be talking about the Greek Orthodox Christians, or we could be talking about Buddhists, or we could be talking about Hindus, or we could be talking about Protestant or Catholic Christians or whatever it is. And I think that what happens is because the people our governments have been killing happen to be Muslim, as George Carlin would say, then we get it all confused that the reason they fight back then is not because we've been fighting them. It's because they're Muslim. And, you know, if you guys are on Twitter, then I know you see this all the time. Somebody does a horrible suicide attack on a pop star um, concert in Manchester. And immediately on Twitter, people go, see, it's Islam. But it's just a non sequitur. They haven't made the connection, right? The only connection they made was a Muslim did a thing. And so therefore it was Islam that made him do it. But you don't know that, right? He could have been blackmailed by the MI5 into doing it. They were going to torture his mom instead or, or whatever it is. You don't know. Um, and so, in other words, as I try to say it in my book, if America and England and, and you guys will have or the, the Brits, you guys have some experience in, in y'all's history with this. If we've been attacking the Indian subcontinent for the last 25 years and we had Indians fighting back against us, all the propaganda we would hear is about radical Hindu extremism and these right wing radical Hindus who think that it's OK to use terrorist attacks to fight against the superpower that's been bombing and persecuting their population. And it's just, you know, it makes for great propaganda because then as long as the problem is the religion that they believe in and not anything that our governments did to cause the problem, then they're perfectly innocent and everything they do is defense. But if you stop and just try to be honest, separate yourself from the identity of the state where you live and all of that kind of thing and look at it, then you can see they call their war war of defense, too. They always have. And yet, was it the American was it the Iranian Empire that overthrew the British government and the American government in 1953? Was it the was it Saddam Hussein who backed both sides in the American Canadian War in which a million people were killed? Uh, or this kind of thing. This is what America and Britain have been doing to them. And so, sorry, he asked me to give a short answer. But that, the short answer is- But then, that, 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 okay, that works. That works with Britain and America, okay? And I, I guess you could possibly say that some of these other countries are in their sphere, but Germany has been, you know, relatively, I mean, okay, well, they sent some troops to Afghanistan. I don't know if they were involved in much. They've been hit, Sweden have been hit, um, you know, there's, there's been well, Muslim of those countries have been involved in Afghanistan and, and that doesn't really undermine the premise anyway. I mean, even if they'd been hit a few times and even if they hadn't been in Afghanistan, it's sort of like, yeah, we got attacked by some Saudis and Egyptians hiding in Afghanistan. Then we invaded Iraq, you know, sometimes, you know, there's the connection there obviously was, no, 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 I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't try to justify your presence in any of that. I mean, the, 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 well, the no, 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 position I, I stands alone. You know, yeah, never, mind, never mind justification. None of this is about justification. We're both just scientists, observers here trying to understand yeah. what's going on. Right? So, let, how, how did but look, it, at how, kid, look at the kid who took the hatchet to the to the people on the train in Germany. He was an right. Afghan. And what, he, what the cop said immediately was that he said that his friend had been killed in an airstrike a few days before. And he was a kid who'd been living in Germany for more than a year. And everyone said he was a great kid. He was assimilating well, and he was happy to be out of Afghanistan and living in Germany and everything was okay. And then he found out that his friend got killed. So no, I'm not justifying what he did on the train. He attacked and, and horribly wounded six innocent people, it had nothing to do with it. But I'm just saying it was a target of opportunity and to him, Germany's close enough, right? Just the same as okay, to sure. an American who joins the army after 9-11, Iraq is close enough to right. make a statement. They got to pay. You know, Tom, Tom Friedman 
the leading public intellectual in America said that it didn't matter if we attacked Saudi Arabia. It didn't matter if we attacked Pakistan. It didn't matter who we attacked. We just had to attack somebody to show how mad we were. And he literally cites in the quote, he says, so we had to go from Baghdad to Basra and, and wage the war there. But from Baghdad to Basra is 100% Shiite territory, dude. It mm. couldn't possibly have been that there was a single Bin Ladenite between Baghdad and Basra. And yet Tom Friedman, the leading public intellectual in America, said that's close enough. So we shouldn't be too confused when an Afghan refugee on a train says Germany is close enough when he actually rather would be attacking a Brit. Okay. Okay, well, people will make their own judgment as to whether uh, as blowback, Islamic terrorism, or a combination of both. What I would like to talk about is the degree to which the West, we've heard, has empowered radical Islam, for example, um, empowering Wahhabi Muslims in Saudi Arabia who are, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe you'll segue on to um, the democratically elected or more, let's say, leaders from a more um, liberal uh, bent that have been taken out of power by Western governments. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole thing with the terror war, right, is it's been a bait and switch from the beginning. We had a group of literally 400 men. Um, they were just bandits, outlaws, criminals. They didn't have a single county on the planet, much less a country. And they lived in exile in no man's land on the border region in, in eastern Afghanistan, western Pakistan there. Um, they were harmless. I mean, not harmless. They were able to coordinate, I guess, to, to hire some volunteers. But even you look at the guys who did the 9-11 attack, they were Egyptian graduate students studying in Germany, right? There was nothing about Afghanistan that really gave them special access to America or anything. The whole entire group was still just a few hundred guys. But then immediately George Bush not only let Osama go, but then he went and he hit Saddam Hussein. And then Obama tripled that by going to, uh, well, first of all, by his manipulation in Iraq. Everybody blames him for leaving Iraq. His real sin in Iraq, Obama, was helping Maliki cancel the results of the election in 2010 and stay in power. That was a huge sin that right. nobody paid any attention to. But that was a huge part of what led to the uh, outbreak of the Civil War in 2011. Um, but then also he overthrew Gaddafi and Assad. And I guess I like to joke that these are two guys that shave their chin every morning and, and wear three-piece suits or military, whatever. I guess Gaddafi did have a little bit of a beard, but it was definitely not an Osama-style Islamist statement beard, right? It was like y'all's right. and mine. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, yeah, and they just they have these other interests. And so as long as it's terror war times and we're over there, in fact, they didn't even really pretend – Qaddafi backed terrorists, right? They just pretended that his opposition weren't terrorists. Uh, and they pretended this was just responsibility to protect from the secular dictator. And I think this goes back kind of to your question about stupidity or the plan some too. Because right. I think that there's, I think there's just in the mind of a whole city full of Hillary Clintons, there was just a denial that we have to stop and ask, yeah, but what about the veterans of the Sunni insurgency in Iraq War II? And, and isn't the spread of that kind of thing the highest priority danger now? They didn't want to look at it that way. They wanted to look at it like there were other things that were higher priorities, like Israel doesn't like Assad and Sarkozy doesn't like Qaddafi or whatever it is. And that okay. they could just ignore the fact that Zarqawi's men have come home to Libya. And now what is going to happen? You know, and in fact, we know they knew better, too. There's a great Washington Times series about, uh, series about how Hillary Clinton did the Libya war over the CIA's dead body. The CIA and the military tried to stop her and she, right. you know, refused to let him because they knew this guy, Bell Hodge, who's helping run the government in Tripoli right now. He had been kidnapped and tortured by the CIA and the MI6. He's suing the MI6 right now for torturing him in the rendition program. And this is the guy who the U.S. turned right around. Obama turned right around and put in power. And, Kada and Libya now is an absolute madhouse. And there's war everywhere. There's estimates of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different warring militias. Um, 
in, it's not even a country anymore. It's just a region. And, and who knows what's going to happen now over there? I mean, it's a, it's a wreck. Uh, right. Competing governments who, and they're not willing to just split apart either. Everybody's fighting over monopoly control over the state, at least so far. Okay. And it's Islamists on one side and CIA-backed and, and Saudi-backed uh, military dictator types trying to reverse the results. And you guys saw this thing in, in, in Manchester just the other day in the UK. This kid had gone to Libya back and forth since the revolution. And people from Manchester had been recruited by the English government to go and fight in the Libyan war. And this is not, I, I call it in the book, I already coined this, I can say it now. Uh, it's not blowback. It's backdraft. Because blowback, okay. blowback is a specific definition. It's not just consequences. Blowback means consequences of secret and covert foreign policies, which over the long term result in consequences, which then catch the people by surprise and therefore leave them open to false interpretations of what's taking place. Right. Like September 11th. The American people weren't really clued into the fact that Bill Clinton was killing Iraqis every day for eight years. So when the 9-11 attack happened, they didn't know what to connect it to. That kind of thing, right? But this is not that. This is backdraft. This is like when a fireman kicks in a door and it blows up right in his face because there's plenty of fuel and plenty of heat but no oxygen. He provides the oxygen and there's immediate consequences that no one can deny what happened. And that's exactly what's going on here. When you have... America bomb Afghanistan and then the the hatchet kid on the German train and Omar Mateen in Orlando, the Orlando uh, nightclub massacre. And they say this is because you're bombing Afghanistan. That's not really blowback. That's pretty much right in your face. When you have America, Britain and France overthrow back terrorists to overthrow the government of Libya. And then you have a Libyan kid who him and his family and his his neighbors and people help participate in that blow up uh, and kill a bunch of innocent civilians at a club in England. That's backdraft. That's um, that's imperial American British foreign policy blowing up right in our faces. Undeniable to anybody except these Twitter kooks who say that, well, gee, I mean, everybody knows that Britain, the government of Britain never did anything to anyone. So if a Muslim attacked some Brits, it must have been because of his evil satanic religion that he believes in. But you'd have to okay. be just lying to yourself to believe that now, right? Okay, let's let, let's let's bring it up to date a little bit. Enter the Donald, okay? Enter Donald Trump. Uh, this is a guy who made a big kind of show of being a Charles Lindbergh, America first isolationist type guy. Now, he ain't in power all that long, and he's gone to Saudi Arabia. He's done the biggest arms deal, I believe, ever in history with Saudi Arabia. Um, what what gives? What goes on there? Is this the deep state? Is this something more? You know, is it, is it not as simple as that? What's your opinion? Well, I mean, Donald Trump is just a liar, and the fact of the matter is, he doesn't even know what America first means. He learned that right. phrase. He learned that phrase from David Sanger, one of the worst people to write for the New York Times. It's a real toss up between him and Michael Gordon right now, I think. But right. okay. David Sanger goes, oh, America first, huh? Because David Sanger was trying to hang a Nazi swastika around Donald Trump's neck, and he thought that that would work. And Donald Trump, being a complete, illiterate, stupid idiot, went, yeah, America first. I like the sound of that. Well, of course, right. Sanger's error was the American people have never heard of Charles Lindbergh. The American people have never heard of the old right. America first committee either. And so they went, yeah, America first. Isn't that where we're from? What, are we supposed to be Afghanistan first? I'm kind of sick of this by now. So it made for a great shtick. It didn't. And but, you know, and maybe someone filled him in later that there used to be a thing called the America First Movement, which, by the way, yeah. I should defend the America First Movement. Charles Lindbergh was not the America First Movement. The American First Movement okay. represented 80 percent of the American people wanted nothing to do with another world war in Europe until FDR yeah. set up their boys to die at Pearl Harbor and and tr baited them in to uh, going back to war in Europe and, of course, in Asia as well. And yeah. And even Lindbergh, all he said, he used the J word one time kind of thing, but he didn't really say anything anti-Semitic other than in the way that American Jews are allowed to say the Jewish lobby. Now, I don't talk like that. I would say the Israel lobby because I think there's a distinction there. But American yeah. Jews can call it that and it's OK. And we're talking about 1940 something. And he basically said, well, the Jewish lobby wants us in the war. He didn't then 
like rail and scapegoat and demonize them or anything. He was saying that they were one of the groups that wanted us into the war. There's the arms manufacturers. There's JP Morgan. There's the Jewish lobby. That was what he said, as though this makes him Adolf Hitler, right? As though he had proposed doing anything to anyone or anything like that. And meanwhile, uh, John T. Flynn and the rest of the people who ran the America First movement, they tolerated zero anti-Semitism. And whenever some Nazi or some German bund crank tried to show up at the America First meeting, they were frog marched right out of there. John T. Flynn and those guys were classical liberals from the Nation magazine and things like this. It's only just liars and revisionists who try to go back and say, oh, yeah, the vast majority, I guess, of America's population was all pro-Hitler. That was That's the only explanation for them not wanting to be in the war is they were all a bunch of Nazis for shame on the whole America First movement. And that's just a lie. So I'm sorry I had to kind of break off into that. That's all right. So who's behind Trump then? What, what's, what goes on? What, is he just oh, yeah, all at sea? I mean, does Trump, he have no right? clue what he's doing? Yeah, sorry, your question was about Trump. Yeah, no, he's just a, yeah. look, he, he ran for president because he likes him. And he thought it would be yeah. great if he got the biggest job in the world. That's it. He doesn't have a doctrine. I mean, to me, Donald All Trump right. is a giant practical joke on the American people. That so this know, was, like, he was he was basically of, running in his yeah. own show. He's basically running in his own bigger episode of The Apprentice. Basically. That's right. Yeah. I mean, look. Right. It, Okay, all 7 billion people in the world were saying, we don't want a Bush and we don't want a Clinton, right? Right. And then, so this is is what we get. We get the one guy in America who could stop the Bushes and the Clintons. And it's this- Well, I was gonna say you could have had a Johnson, but- (laughs) You were gonna say who? You could have had a Johnson, but you've kind of got a dick instead of a Johnson. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, man. yeah, we're really screwed. I don't know what to tell you other than um, he, he has no doctrine because he doesn't believe anything. Right. The only thing he believes in okay. is that the generals are really smart and really capable and that whatever they suggest is the best thing to do. And he's already, okay. you know, um, delegating his command authority to them. Obama was jealously, you know, um, centering all the command authority in the White House itself. Trump is giving it all to Mattis and all to the Pentagon. You guys want to drop a Moab on Afghanistan? He doesn't know know what he's talking about, and he has to defer to people who do. This all does invite the question, particularly the America First thing, uh, and we were asked this by Cass Paul, do you think that intervention is ever justified? And um, a uh, tangential question, if so, when's the last time America fought a just war? Maybe those are two questions. Well, okay, I guess I have to say in a complete hypothetical vacuum where America hasn't inherited all the world empires after World War II and ruled them with an iron fist for all of these decades since. Uh, and it was just, we were a normal country in a normal time, a temporary limited constitutional republic with just enough security force to keep us safe and all of these dreams come true. And then some horrible genocide broke out in the world that was not America's fault somehow. And it would somehow be easy to send in one good group of paratroopers to put a halt to it, something. I'll argue with you then. I'll hear you out then. But that's just not the world that we live in. The fact of the matter is all this humanitarianism is a lie. Humanitarianism is an excuse. It was no more true when Obama said he was trying to save the people of Libya than it was when George W. Bush Mm -hmm. said he was trying to save the people of Iraq. It's just not what this is about. It's just an excuse. And of course, look, we live on Earth, which is a place lousy with tyrants who abuse their power. And now we're talking about interventions being justified Not just when one country crosses another country's borders, like Iraq into Kuwait, which there's nothing in the law that says that then any other country, if they want, gets to intervene to force them back out again. I mean, that's crazy American invented precedent right there. But then immediately they doubled that, right? Immediately Clinton intervened in Kosovo, a civil war uh, to bring Kosovo off from Serbia. And then we have this whole R2P excuse of intervening in Libya, where we just have basically... The precedent set is that any time a government and an armed group are in conflict inside a state, the USA gets okay. to choose 
whether they want to back the rebels or whether they want to back the dictator and call it human rights. That's the so, real so what gets there, now. I'm, I'm glad so I must reject that. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Kosovo because, I mean, surely that's a situation, ostensibly at least, where the West intervened on behalf of Muslims against uh, what you might call Christians or at least culturally Christians. So they so they intervened on behalf and the, the, the KL you know the KLA weren't exactly a nice organization either. But we made out as if it was going to be a, a humanitarian effort because the, the nasty evil Serbs were killing all these these poor innocent Muslims. I mean that would conceivably be a situation that ostensibly where the, the the West went into. What's what's your take on the Kosovo thing? What was the real reason, in your opinion, that, that the Clinton sort of bombed the shit out of innocent people? You know, I really don't know. And I interviewed Ted Galen Carpenter from the Cato Institute about this yesterday. Okay. And, you know, his his thing basically was it was just sort of the inertia of the project, I guess, after the original intervention in Bosnia. Uh, I'm trying to think. In fact, I might even have had in my notes because he was he brought it up before I could ask him why they did right. it. And he said that he never really could figure it out, whether it was okay. they did it mostly just to spite the Russians because the Serbs were the friends of the Russians and they yeah. wanted to stick it in their eye and, and put them in their place a little bit? Or it, okay. was it just because they wanted to build Camp Bond Steel and, and expand the military footprint? I mean, I think this is a common problem is we can't ever come up with any reasons that are good enough to justify these policies. So yeah. then we keep searching when actually, yeah. just because they're not good enough doesn't mean they're not the reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we heard from the Democrats um, Bill Clinton and uh, uh, Senator Lantos and, and a couple other politicians, uh, Brad Sherman, have mm -hmm. been quoted saying that, well, geez, why did Al-Qaeda attack us? Don't they know that we took the Muslim side in Bosnia? As right. though, and, and I don't know if that was, in fact, I, I think I remember this from back then, but I couldn't find the footnote. But yeah. I think I remember from back then that they even said that was part of their motivation in intervening there was for public relations to show the Muslim world that so-called Muslim that they're an honest broker. That, yeah, that we're honest broker. Yeah. That we'll take your side if it's your if if you guys are the ones who are mm -hmm. being the victims here and all that. And we really are. Except of course at the same time he was still bombing Iraq every other day from bases in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> he was right. still supporting yeah. the Israelis doing whatever they want in Palestine. So it's not like any of that was canceled and the terrorist war against us was going to be called off. But they seemed to think that they were bribing them. And and now here's an important point that as long as we're in Kosovo, Bill Clinton just lied. It wasn't true that the Serbs had slaughtered yeah. 100,000 Kosovar Albanian yeah, women and children just wasn't yeah. true. And once the, in, once the invasion took place, they found it was really only a few thousand, and they were almost all fighting-aged males. And in yeah. fact, many of their deaths could be dated to after the intervention began. Yeah. And so that whole thing was a hoax. Those were uh, Bill Clinton's weapons of mass destruction. He completely got yeah. away with it. And not that, that I'm does. a big fan of the UN Charter in and of itself or anything like that, but it's important no. that... They overrode the UN Charter. They just said, well, if if the Russians won't vote for it, then we'll just use NATO and we'll just do it anyway. And what the hell are they going to do about it? Which was, this was right. the point of Ted Carpenter's great article at the National Interest, is this did so much to ruin America's relationship with Russia. And so what's more important to you? America's relationship with Kosovar Albanians or America's relationship with Russia? The two H-bomb arsenals of the planet, you know? There's a huge error, yeah. and it, or well, error, premeditated murder plot. I don't want to acquit him, but I'm saying it was also stupid. You know, it had terrible yeah. consequences that, in fact, they almost got us into a war then. Uh, American General Wesley Clark, when Putin got coy and Putin deployed troops to the Pristina airport without announcing it, he just dropped them there. Oh, did I lose you guys, or am I still here? Oh, hey, there you go. Are guys. we still broadcasting? I don't know what the hell went, went on. I, I guess it dropped our side. I hope you got a good um, chat and I look forward to catching up on it afterwards. Tell us a little bit about the Libertarian Institute and your plans for it before we wrap up. Sure. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I don't know if it's on my end or what with the internet here. But I uh, don't know what happened. But anyway, regardless, let's let's crack on. Anyway, so yeah. Um, uh, the Libertarian Institute, it was uh, me and uh, my good friend William Norman Grigg and Sheldon Richmond. Um, we created it and we brought on uh, Jared LaBelle from Taxpayers United uh, to help run the thing. And now Will has died uh, quite tragically. Um, and 
you know, it's really, it's a real tragedy because uh, he had six kids and some of them quite young. Okay. Um, but it's also a huge tragedy for the libertarian movement and, yeah. and for my Institute as well. I mean, he was a, he was a real reason that the thing was a great thing. You know, me, mm -hmm. him and will uh, me, him and Sheldon really, I think were the team. So uh, we're going to continue on. I don't know exactly, um, you know, what's going to take place. Obviously he is irreplaceable. Um, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we're going to push on with okay. publishing my book and we're going to publish a book of Will's collected articles that he'd written about the malicious and false prosecution of this guy, Christopher Tapp. And um, so we're going to publish that. We're going to publish a couple of books by Sheldon Richmond that he's got uh, some compilations in the works. And we're going to try to we're going to really try to do activism and, uh, you know, alliances and working with other libertarian groups and doing some you know political action and and plenty of education and i really have a lot of daydreams i really want to build this thing mm -hmm. into a real okay. ass institute on the level of i mean i think we already are kind of on the level of the future freedom foundation but i want right. to be as, as big and and as official and established as the independent institute i know i'll never have Koch brothers money to be cato but i want to <laughs> do i want to i want to do something where you know, we really make a mark on helping to define libertarianism uh, in this era, you know, and okay. particularly in terms of anti-intervention. Okay. Okay. Can I can I wind up with, with just asking you one more thing, if you've got time, sure. um, Scott? Okay. I particularly enjoyed your, I mean, as a ranty man myself, and I've been known to, to, to swear and rant often, I particularly enjoyed your rant against, was it Kevin Zeiss or Kevin Zeiss? Um, and by the way, yeah. I love that guy. I mean, he's but, a great guy. Okay, but I just love the rant, and it, it's. Sure. I noticed that on on your radio show at one time you had you've had Noam Chomsky as, as a guest. Is that correct? Yes, one time I interviewed him. Uh -huh. Okay, and I, and I'm guessing that was mainly in foreign policy. Did you have a chance to 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 have a go at him or ask him you know, why? Because Chomsky maintains that libertarianism is a corporatist. That's yeah. where it is. Libertarian is corporatism. Did you have a chance to, 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 to take him to task on that? Nah. In fact, I, I very rarely have argued. I think possibly the only leftist I argued with about economics on the show would have been Mark Ames. And in okay. fact, I guess I really regret it because I thought we were having an honest debate, but apparently I completely poisoned his brain and turned him into an <laughs> anti-libertarian jihadist after that. And he's done nothing but lie his ass off about libertarians since then right. too. He's a total hack and a smear artist and right. writes about libertarians like we're all Jeffrey Goldberg, the devil. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, okay. But no, when I interviewed Chomsky, I know I asked him about Palestine and right. you know, that kind of thing. But I I typically, and I've interviewed Kevin Zeese a hundred times too. And, okay. and no, we never fight about economics. We always, I always just interview them. I, I try to interview the good guys about the thing they wrote that people aren't paying enough attention to okay. and try to really be an issue oriented kind of person first. I mean, that particular rant, it just really bothered me mostly because of how much I like Kevin Zeese and how he ought to know better, man, right. that you know good leftists ought to know by now there's a reason why good libertarians like them and it's yeah. because we're good on things too man and for good reasons and to turn around and act like you know anybody who says they believe in freedom is some sort of dishonest shill for power yeah i wish that yeah, just I like i say in that red how come how come the libertarians are all broke i mean i got yeah, yeah. where's my check from halliburton dude you know yeah. I mean, the Libertarian Party has no money. Ron Paul yeah. ran for president. He was the least yeah. financed Republican yeah. that ran. We're on the bones of the here. Yeah. 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 Ron Paul's slogan is laissez faire or die, and every corporation in America lines up against him. Wait yeah. a minute. I'm getting a clue. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if people out there want to help stop war, what can we do? Is there anything that we can do? Is it yeah, hopeless? I really don't know. I mean, my best idea is to just to try to show that what they say ain't true and that, you know, really, yeah. after all this, we'd have to be fools to believe them, wouldn't we? And sure. the next time that they say that, no, really, we got to do it this time. Now we're we already against the next By now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. at the end right. of the day, as Ron Paul says, at the end of the day, the people get the government they want. 
if the American yeah. people said, mm. we don't want a world empire, we really, really don't quit it, then it would be over. And that's yeah, the truth right. of the matter is it's just a matter of building that consensus. And guess yeah. what? The whole policy is completely corrupt and dishonest and blatantly murderous and horrible. And if Jesus was here, was here he'd strike them all down. So what, what's the argument? The argument is they're protecting yeah. mm -hmm. our security? I mean, come on, man. You guys just got yeah. your concert bond the other night. You know, I yeah. think that I think right. that part of the myth can go ahead and die now. And you know what? I actually think that we're making real progress on this. I don't know how it is in the UK. I don't guess anybody over there is really into it enough to support this stuff. Mm. Probably they were at the time, but uh, but but yeah, now. Anyway, okay, I say so... we're making progress with the right. They're sick of it too because it's their sons dying in this stupid thing, and they're over yeah. it by now. Sixteen years in, they're done. Well, thank you for speaking the truth about war for all these years, and. Um, I'm glad that if I ever need to get the facts on anything, I know I can always go to antiwar.com or the Scott Horton show and get the lowdown. So keep doing what you're doing and uh, thank you yeah, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much to both of you guys, Anthony and Tom. Appreciate it. Okay. Okay, cool. Cheers.